everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining us, like always, Stephen Schleicher. Hey, Zach. Stephen, how's it going this week? I am right on time. Great. For the train? For trains. Or, you or whatever. Uh, well, wherever, 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 <laughs> poor, wherever the poor and trodden uh, need assistance, I will be there. Wherever you see a hungry child, I will. Oh, no, wait. We're doing okay. 310 right. to right, right, right. Sorry. We are back into our country western movies Man, even though even though we, we, we looked through the lists and it's like we actually haven't done that many this year well, which just made us feel weird because it feels like we've been doing so many western now movies. i didn't go back into the last you know 52 episodes no i just went back and said oh in 2017 we haven't done a lot of western right, that's what i was meaning but yeah no no i see where you're coming from and yes we are definitely back into westerns once again yeah and uh 310 to yuma a remake and this time instead of movies that have inspired uh logan this is a movie that is a remake of a 1957 movie that is also directed by James Mangold. Yeah, so uh, kind of an exploration of Logan influences through the work the director has previously done. Right, which is interesting because this is a remake, and I'm usually not a big fan of remakes. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that before. Um, But some about 310 to Yuma is a little bit more interesting, and maybe because it is adding elements into it that make it more approachable or likable by modern audiences. Right. You know, like that that huge chase scene at the beginning of the movie <laughs> where literally, you know, there's an explosion and something, you know, flips over and uh-huh. all sorts of stuff like you would see in a modern uh, car movie. Here's the weird thing about this movie, real quick. I saw this, had to have been a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was 2008, 2009 or somewhere around then, but I've seen this movie before. And so I'm like, okay, I kind of know all the beat points, but I probably ought to just sit down and watch it again. Ten minutes into this movie, I'm like, I remember nothing about this oh, movie. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah, that's funny. There's nothing about this movie that I remembered. And I know I've seen it before because I knew the whole um, bit at the end where they're running through town. Mm-hmm. I knew all that, but it was just like, and, and the uh, chase through the um, through the train tunnels that were under yeah. construction. Yeah. And everything else is just blanked on. That's funny. Yeah. So it's like a whole new experience for you. And eh, not really. Well, it was kinda. more of a frightening experience about have I suffered some brain damage and <laughs> have I forgotten something? You did like from just, just a couple of years, years ago. Well, I mean, this is out. a 10-year-old movie. Yeah. And I know I didn't see this in theaters. I know this we would have been in this house at this time. Yeah. And I'm thinking I didn't watch it until like maybe 2010, 2011, 2012, maybe at the earliest would be uh-huh. 2012. So that's only five years ago. It's not long ago. If it was even then. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's somewhat frightening. That's strange. It, it always makes you worry about what's happening inside your brain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So 310 Yuma, the 1957 film, was directed by Delmore Daves, based yes. on the short story by Elmore Leonard. Yes. Now, Elmore Leonard has a uh, really long resume of of books that he's written that have been turned into... Uh, television, oh, and really? film, and things like that. So, um, if you look at some of his um, screenplays, you'll see things like um, Fifty Two Pickup and Stick and High Noon Part One for television. Um, but his his books, when you go through them, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that one, or I've heard about that one, or uh, whatever. So he's had a lot of stuff that has been translated into into movies okay. and television. Uh, like Get Shorty is one that people would, would uh-huh. know. I just watched that one again recently. Rum Punch. Um, let's see. Uh, Naked King, the Manatee, but I don't think that's one that people have has been <laughs> adapted. Um, 
Be Cool was, I think, a follow-up to Get Shorty. Okay. And um, let's see what else. Those are probably the ones that I know for sure people would know from uh, the movie adaptations, especially Get Shorty, because yeah. that one was popular enough. And Be Cool is the one that I think, if I'm not mistaken, was turned into a movie with, uh, I want to say, it had John Travolta, Uma Thurman. Mm. I want to say Tim Allen was in that too, but maybe I'm thinking of something else. But so, yes, this is adapted from an Elmore Leonard uh, story. And so uh, well-respected and um, and remade in, in 2007. H- had you watched the 57 the version? version? No, either have I. I. I read through the synopsis of the story, and there's definitely plot points that have been changed. And um, from what I've heard... And read mm-hmm. the seven film was received well. Oh yeah, it was no, fine. It, like, it, it was really good. Got, it had some really good uh, yeah. marks and were super, super well received. Won a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's was really good. This one maybe not so much. I mean, it had all sorts of production problems going into it. Yeah, it was put into fast turnaround, meaning that the studio was going to lose it or they sold it off if they didn't get something produced and they were going to lose the rights to it. Right. Uh, there were a number of people who wanted to jump on board to play the Russell Crowe. A role including uh, Tom Cruise and I forget who the other one was that was a big name, uh, but they you know eventually left it. Um, uh, Eric Bana, I believe. Yeah. Um, the originally James Mangold was not going to be the director of this, and then Ooh. he became the director of this, even though he had been working on this for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, on the first day of shooting. Uh, there was a major yeah, accident that was crazy. where um, they had to put down one of the horses because it didn't turn like it was supposed to and ran right into a camera crew and the camera or the rider was severely injured. They had to put the horse down on the set. It got a lot of problems from that. And then on top of that, there were three other uh, or two other quote unquote Western movies mm-hmm. that were coming out around the same time. And even though the studio tried to bump it up a month, it still didn't get out until around the same time as the assassination of Jesse James by the uh, uh, by the coward Robert Ford and No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And so this movie just kind of blah, just came onto the scene and a lot of people were like, well, we don't care. And I don't think that it really became popular until it came out on home video. Really? To be honest with you. Because it, it did. I, don't, I, I didn't look up what the production budget was, but mm-hmm. I feel like it made... Somewhere in the realm of $75 million. Yeah, uh, $70 million is what it, it, what it made in theaters. It cost $55 million to make. And for oh, a period piece with uh, people like uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. And like a really high point of the career. Because Christian Bale yeah. would have been, had just done Dark Knight. I believe so. At least yeah. the, the first movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was, he was a, a big to-do at that time. So... And Russell Crowe still, you know, doing Russell's Russell Crowe, like doing Russell Crowe things. A lot of films in the two yep. thousands. Yep, he did. <laughs> he did. Um, you know, so th- this movie is not, and, and then of course Peter Fonda is in here in a cameo mm. role, and not a, really a cameo role, but in a in a small role. And you have um, uh, Alan Tudyk, mm-hmm. uh, who oh, people yeah. know now from uh, Star Wars, uh, Rogue One, more uh, and from Firefly. Is that uh, what? He's in there too. <laughs> my my reference point. For Turdick is a Knight's Tale. It always oh, is a Knight's right. Tale. Okay. That's yeah, just yeah. what I know him from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so that, I mean, there are really good names in, in this movie, and there's really no reason why this shouldn't have been a bigger hit than it was. Mm-hmm. But to, you know, just make its, I don't know what the printing and advertising was. So it could, it may not have cleared yeah. its entire budget and may still be in the red. Who knows? But it is, but this is a fascinating film. 
yeah, I had heard from one of my good friends, he likes Westerns, he mm-hmm. had always said 310 to Yuma was a good film that I should watch it, and mm-hmm. I listened to him about five years after he told me that for the first time, and yeah, I enjoyed this film. It is, again, surprising the number of Western films that I have found myself liking, and this one is is very interesting. I, I saw it compared with... uh comparing like main character points with with Christian Bale's character to Mm -hmm. the main character in High Noon, Mm -hmm. which was one of the early Western films we watched in this podcast. And I really like High Noon. Like it is a really good film. Yeah, no, that is really good. And uh, I definitely see some parallels to the main character and and just... I, I, it's good. And mm-hmm. there's like I want to talk about the ending a lot, but we're not we're not to the ending yet. We're just at the very beginning of this film, right? Uh, so this film is a in much like the films we've looked at from Logan, it is a start in one point, move to a final destination uh, via any form of of transportation. This one via horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we watch, Christian Bale's character is a farmer who lost part of his leg in the Civil War. He's down on his luck. His farm got burned down by some people he owes some money to. And in an attempt to uh, gain some money and gain uh, his land back and a life for his family, has volunteered for $200 to transport uh, Ben Wade, played by um, Russell Crowe, Russell Crow, mm-hmm. a notorious outlaw who's been robbing uh, banks and we see him rob uh, uh, a bank carrier, a stagecoach, a, a stagecoach at the beginning of the film, <laughs> a bank carrier, uh, <laughs> uh, worth a lot of money from this one specific right. family. Right. And so he's volunteered to take this very deadly criminal uh, to de- de- a-, a town in southern Arizona so right. he can board the 310 train to Yuma to go to the penitentiary right. to and serve only, his time. And the only way that Dan Evans, who's Christian Bale's character, the only way he's going to get his money is if... Ben Wade actually gets on the train. So he doesn't get on the train. He doesn't get his money. And this becomes a really interesting character piece for, uh, to understand what is motiv- motivating Dana Evans for this. He's not stubborn. He's not somebody who's just like, no. well, I've set my mind to it and we're doing this. You know, through the movie, you find out that, you know, he's not a war hero. The only battle that he was in during the Civil War turned into a retreat and he lost his leg because it was shot off by one of his own men, Mm -hmm. even though he's a sharpshooter. That's great. So he's gone through that. Um, We eventually find out the reason why he's in Arizona trying to be a cattle farmer. And it's not because he's stubborn and wants to be a cattle farmer is going to stake his claim in the ground, you know, come, you know, hell or high water. It's because of a family issue because his son has uh, tuberculosis Mm -hmm. and he needs that dry environment. Mm -hmm. And so if he can't make it as a, as a cattle rancher, he's got nothing. He can do nothing else. And so he is desperately doing whatever he can to make sure that his family's alive, even if that means he's going to die at some point. And the problem is, I think maybe he may be too proud of a man right. to really talk about this, or this may be things that, you know, in the 1880s or whatever this takes place, this may be something that is not talked about men to men and men to son because he's got an older son who totally hates his father, thinks mm-hmm. his father is worthless, thinks his father is no good, thinks his father is not successful because he doesn't understand these things. And through the process, the son, who's you know pretty good with a gun himself, he goes with this party 
and ends up being part of the party that is taking Ben Wade to to um, to the train station. Brisby or wherever the, that he's no Bisbee is. Uh, they yeah, they're start, going to Bisbee. Bisbee. No, they started at Bisbee. They're going to like oh okay Compton or something. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Contention. That's Contention. Yeah. Um. So through this piece, the son then also gets to see what his father is really like. His father's mm-hmm. not a coward. His father is someone who's strong. His father is someone who has strong convin- convictions, and he understands a little bit more about his dad. And right at the point where it's almost like the two are about to team up. We get to this climactic part of when the Wade gang uh, goes to rescue uh, Ben Wade after he's already gone on the train mm-hmm. and it all falls apart. And so the kid loses his dad uh, at the end. So I think that's a really kind of an interesting character study uh, for Christian Bale's character. Yeah, that and, and that uh, a lot of the discovery of Evans is in the last 25, 30 minutes of the film right. mm-hmm. when they're holed up in this hotel room mm-hmm. waiting for the train to arrive and Wade's trying to bribe Evans to just let him go and he's going to give him a thousand dollars and we'll just be gone and you'll survive and your son will survive and there's no reason to die, right? And then he refuses. He's like, well, what are, what are the people in the town going to think? Oh, I just, Wade just happened to leave. And I just happened to get all mm-hmm. this money mm-hmm. and what do they think of me? Um, and then so... A lot, a lot of shooting. Yeah, so a lot, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of, of shooting. Of, there's a lot of question of what measure of a man. Right. Right. And that's what, uh, and I have problems with the structure of the ending. Yeah, but, so do I. But the, the idea of the character um, is what I found interesting and troubling, but still fitting in with in, inside a theme we see in Western so much of like this hyper masculinity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we see from Evans in a way that's not John Wayne shoot everyone to like save the little guy way. It's mm-hmm. this idea about legacy and how you would be remembered that I think is, is woven through a lot of things. It reminded me a lot of uh, the musical Hamilton, Hamilton, because uh, one, I love it and listen to it all the time. Uh, but two, <laughs> it, like the a big central theme of the musical, I think, is how Hamilton and Aaron Burr will be remembered. And Hamilton is very set in the beginning of the film or of of the show of he wants to die in the war because that's mm. how you'll be remembered. Mm-hmm. And Washington says to him, uh, "Living is or dying is easy, easy living is harder." Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's my issue with Evan's action at the end and him pursuing this to no end with the idea of I essentially have to die because I want my sons to remember a legacy that I didn't wanna, actually really live. Yeah, they want their to remember their father as the hero who was doing right. the right thing as opposed to the father who ran away from everything like everyone else. Well, and, and see, that's what I don't think... I think that's the two options you're presented, mm-hmm. but I think kind of like what Washington is saying in Hamilton is that sticking through this and understanding now, okay, congratulations, you you died for this cause that you believe is noble and just. And in, in like reality, getting Wade, a murderer, robber, onto this train to the penitenti- uh, penitentiary is like a noble cause. Uh, but to do that, he had to sacrifice himself and he died. And now, now that his family 
will hopefully everyone will keep to their word and have money. Mm-hmm. The, it, the, their farm is now being run by like a 13 year old and an eight year old boy. Right. And their dad's gone. And hired hands. And but hired, then also, but you have other, to like, but, but it's like you chose in some looking at the situation, an easier way out of dying. Well, now you don't want now you to don't, die. He didn't want to die. I right? think he kind of did. I don't think he, I don't, I mean, he certainly may have had a death wish, but as he and waiter in the ticket, part of the of the station Mm -hmm. there's this understanding that you've done your job you did exactly what you needed to do he got weight on the train it was over until uh the rest of the gang showed up and just killed evans outright yeah there's something interesting that you said though that i that i like and it and i wonder if we will see this in fact i know we will see this (laughs) in the next movie hello high water but i think that it also ties into uh, maybe a uh, Logan a little bit and it is what is this legacy and how are you going to be remembered and you mm-hmm. only die you know you're only remembered if you die during a battle so right. if you look at Logan Logan's kind of in the uh, same boat right I mean he knows if he goes with these kids and he helps them out it could lead to his death or mm-hmm. if he doesn't take care of Professor X it's going to lead to his death so he is going about his self-imposed exile or whatever that he's calling himself Um for selfish purposes, because yeah. he wants to be remembered as this hero mm-hmm. when really he's done a lot of really, really bad things. Right. And I, I think that's a, a theme we see so much in media and like honestly in real life a lot, too, mm-hmm. of that if you. And, and, and I think the, the distinction is die in a battle or purposely take the choice of. Living it out like hard living a hard yeah. conditions or putting yourself in a situation in which the odds of you dying are mm-hmm. very high, so then you can be remembered mm-hmm. for a person who died doing this thing. And I think that's the problem I have with Evans at the end. And, and the way I saw it is that well, so, there was a way mm-hmm. he could have got out of it, so or at there... least in, in, if the, if the idea was, what's more important, Evans being on a train. Or you oh, being Wade there being for your family. Or, being, or yeah, 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 Wade being on the train. Or then you being there for your family when they'll probably need you in like three weeks when the rain still hasn't come and there's still no water on your land because mm-hmm. the guy who owns the land is a total D-bag and he's burning down your house. Like, now they're on their own. It's interesting you've like abandoned them a little bit. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can see that. That was my problem with his actions and that. And it's actually when it came down to the very ending of can you imagine telling your sons the truth about your past? Right, right. That, And then I thought that is his motivation for all of this is I'm not really a war hero because mm-hmm. something accident, like he had no control over any of the, that situation. Right. But he felt shame that he couldn't even bring his, his sons to tell, the, tell his sons the truth. So he sought out this thing, which in the beginning is my family needs funds. To continue surviving, but I think that pivotal moment is Evans is trying to give the story to his life that the sons think he had that he never really did. So then do you see then a lot of similarities then? Do you have the same kind of problem at the end with Logan as you do with 310 to Yuma? Because again, Logan is doing all of this selfish for selfish purposes because- He doesn't want those kids to remember him as this person who didn't want to help. Mm-hmm. And so 
he goes out and also for the love of his child, right? Right. Goes out to save them and protect them, even though it cost his own life. Is there is there a similarity going on in there or is that are these two separate things? Because I'm trying to see in, yeah. in these two films of Logan and um, uh, 310 to Yuma, if Mangold is is focusing on in some central themes or ideas throughout his his other movies. Now, he also did the Wolverine, which, you yeah. know, I didn't hate it. Um, he did Walk the Line, Kate and Leopold, Girl Interrupted, Copland, Heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, I think that's the complicated part of these types of actions because they can be swung either way mm-hmm. so easily just on point of view. Right. Where I don't remember having those thoughts while watching the uh, Logan, but mm-hmm. if I go back and watch it and I kind of just like don't remember specifically everything about Logan, um, it, it, it can definitely still be, if especially if it's, I, these kids need to remember who I really am. You know, I'm not like this old crusty man. I'm, right. I'm still strong and, right. and can like whoop these people. I think that's the problematic part you get into with a lot of action films is like, I am the end all be all and I will go down in a blaze of glory because that's the ultimate me. You know, and, and I think, mm-hmm. it, I think we said thing in the wrestler too, you know, he went down he could have still been there for his daughter afterwards. It could have been hard. Right. We talked about this last week. It could have been hard, but he could have still been there. He could have tried to make a life work um, uh, with the, the girlfriend he wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And like, But he wanted to go out in glory. And that's what I... And it really, it was just like those last couple of dialogue scenes with Evans and Wade where he's like really telling the story of his... Um, some of them were good. Like this, the story of his son about why they're in this like his poor ranching right. spot like what a, like a great moment right him justifying why he can't just let him go because it will make no sense and it'll really soil his name a little bit and and i, I think that justification of oh i i can't just take your money and let you walk out people will know mm-hmm. i think that's pretty good like i'm still i'm, I'm still okay with that but the, the way of like yeah i couldn't look into my sons and tell them the truth so i have to like give them this new story was problematic for me. I don't think he's ever told, I don't think he's ever told them that he was a hero. Right. I think if, if anything, he spent his entire life avoiding the conversation Mm. because even at the dinner table, yeah. When, um, Wade is saying, well, you got a little hitch in your step. Uh, tell me the story about that. Mm -hmm. And he just avoids it. He avoids the topic altogether. So I think his kids probably know that he lost it in the war, but they don't know how. They don't, yeah. So they bring up a lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's those assumptions and the willing, the unwillingness by Evans to not talk to his kids about what really happened creates the bitterness among the older child. Well, it's, you know, sure. in, in your mind, you're this great war guy, right? Mm-hmm. And you're the sharpshooter division and everything. Why then are you not taking care of these guys that are burning down our barn mm-hmm. and doing all these things. And it's like, right. that's not who I am. And he doesn't want to have those conversations with his kids because he, you know, uh, may appear to make him weaker mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It, 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 and then even goes even farther, not really farther, but it, you bringing up him not acting in the son's really credulous attitude towards, towards his father as they're watching the stagecoach being robbed, as they're burning mm-hmm. down his mm-hmm. inaction, violent, in violent inact, in non-violent in action. So you understand what right, I'm saying. Right. He's not being violent towards these people. Right. And, and seeing him look at him that way, knowing mm-hmm. his supposed past. Cause we never actually see 
Evans, I don't think we ever see him really shoot a long rifle. I think he like pulls it up at one point, but I think he, we only see him at the end. We only shoot him see a bunch right. of revolvers pretty close, which right. is really interesting, I right. guess. Um, but there's definitely, we don't see him take easy shots because he, when they were taking Wade out of the town the very first time and, oh, his like first general guy with the cool right, coat right. runs through and this town's going to burn. He shoots a bunch right, of people. Right. He's riding out. Evans pulls up his rifle and like has mm-hmm. him. You would yeah, assume yeah, he probably could have shot him, yeah. but he chose not to, which is interesting from a character point. It doesn't seem like he wants to be violent. Mm-hmm. Maybe he thinks he's just this whole plan will work and they'll be mm-hmm. easy to get. Well, and that may also be explained in the conversation about you were in the war. Mm-hmm. Were you conscripted or inscripted uh, or were you a volunteer? And he's mm-hmm. like, look, I was part of the, you know. Army reserves. Yeah, I was yeah. part of the army reserves in Massachusetts and that's the way I was going. You know, that's something, uh, you know, something everyone should be doing is be part of their local militia. Mm-hmm. And because of the civil war, I was called up. Our people were called up. I, you know, it's like I wasn't looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. So I find that, find that interesting too. flip this around then to Bob Evans or <laughs> Bob Evans, uh, <laughs> flip this around to Ben Wade's character. Yeah. From Russell Crowe, he goes yeah. through a really weird uh, thing as well to where he finally, at the end of the movie, is actually not actively trying to escape like he does in most of the movie. Because mm-hmm. he kills basically everyone that's part of the posse. Um, yeah, at the very end. Yeah, that was crazy. And then at the end, he's like, okay, I understand why you're doing this and you don't want to be seen as a coward in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to actively try to escape and I will go with you to the train. Mm-hmm. And we find out at the end, he's like, Hey, look, I've been into this prison before and I've escaped before. Right. Um, but at the same time, you see that there's this recognition that he has this cathartic moment where he is sitting there choking the life out of Evans. And Evans is like, you know, my kids are going to think I'm a coward if mm-hmm. I, if I do this. And I think that's a cathartic moment because it's revealed that, uh, Wade's character, his father died or ran off or something. And his mom's like, well, we're going to go to a train station. We're going to get out of here and we're going to do something. And she mm-hmm. hands him the Bible and says, read the Bible. And he says, I read the Bible cover to cover. It took me three days. My mom never returned. So mm-hmm. she just abandoned the kid mm-hmm. there. And so you really feel awful that Evans really had this life that was devoid of parents. And I think at that moment, he's like, oh, if I take if I kill you and you are not there for your kids, Will your kids turn into me? Mm-hmm. And there's even conversations early on about uh, the oldest son, how he's got a lot of lot in him that he could very easily be like uh, Wade. And mm-hmm. um, Evans is like, no, I, he's he's got too much good in him to be like you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also kind of a telling, revealing moment. But I don't know if you got something different uh, out of this sudden willingness to get on the train. Yeah, it was very interesting. That was I think his mo- the moment after choking Evans and he really is going with him after that point. Like we get back to that because it, it mm-hmm. seemed odd for him to just go, "Okay, now I'm helping you. We're right. gonna we're gonna do this." Right. It, it is interesting to watch, and I think maybe the conversation they had in the hotel when it was just Wade and Evans mm-hmm. might have. M- done something inside of Wade to have a new respect for Evans because uh, when Evans' son returns to the hotel room, he sees that Wade drew a picture of him. Right. And, and that was something he did throughout the film and mm-hmm. it seemed that he did it of things 
he admired or had a soft spot for because we see him draw a bird. Mm-hmm. We see him draw um, uh, the woman in the bed. Right. And then we see him draw Evans. Mm-hmm. So something about he has a special feeling about these people he's drawing, it seems like. Right. And then it was strange to see the twist. I, I think the you bringing up the importance of Wade not having his mom growing up mm-hmm. is a big part of the character because we seem that's when he uh, threw that guy over the cliff because he said right. something about his mom, which made mm-hmm. him very mad. Mm-hmm. He said even 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 villains have a soft spot mm-hmm. or love their mom or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did. It was a crazy twist, and I think it makes sense when you put it in that light of when his gang kills Evans. As right as he got him in the thing, they just like blow him away. I think it's right, crazy. Right, he gets shot right. a lot, and then Wade gets down, like throw him his gun, and he just immediately. He like looks at him, looks at the guy, and just shoots all of them dead. Right, they're all just gone. Right, and then puts himself back on the train mm-hmm. inside the, inside of the cell. It's interesting too because at the beginning of the movie, as they're div- divvying up the money in the bar, he basically is talking about how they're a family, and if you screw up or you turn your back and you don't want to be part of this, mm-hmm. then you put the rest of the family in jeopardy, and you know you can be the next person to be killed. So it's interesting right. that that comes back around at the end when he realizes that this isn't family; these are just murderous sons of bitches right kind of stuff and that's which is interesting because his main guy mm-hmm. does seem almost like, like a brother a, like a, like a brother yeah. or almost a son figure yes. looking up to wade mm-hmm. and then to watch him turn on him is the mm-hmm. most shocking really because the other guys don't seem like they really care about Wade. they just want the money mm-hmm. and even one of them's like forget this guy what, 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 what do we care yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so see him turn was an interesting and I, I like the way you explain it more because in my when I was watching it, it seemed like, oh, this good guy Evans sacrificed for the ultimate good. I should respect his decision mm-hmm. and kill his murderers right. and then put myself on the train, even though I'm probably going to escape because right. I do that cool whistle for my horse. Yeah, thing. yeah. All cowboys can do. I like the way you read it more in that this guy, I, I think Wade respects Evans longing for a better legacy mm-hmm. in the way that Wade has kind of built up an aura around himself. Yeah. And then, but I, and the parenting thing, I think you read on it is really good. Cause him, I think he probably responded more to his doing the ranching for his son in the, in the dry climate. So it doesn't mm-hmm. get stricken by the tuberculosis mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, is like a really good read on why Wade would respond so much to Evans when he doesn't seem like he, he really would. cares about anyone right. else no, or but I think any other respect, explanation. Yeah, you're right. He respects that. Here's somebody that's really trying to do, be a good parent. Right. You know, with all these tremendous things being thrown at his face. Mm-hmm. And then I'm here being an ass and trying to right. kill everybody around him. And I really, in comparing that to my childhood, look how things could be different. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's fascinating and it's a... I almost feel like there are like 10 scenes missing in this movie <laughs> that develop the relationship between these two characters a little bit better and mm-hmm. shows the flip the flip in ideals from both of them. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, to me, Wade's sudden flip doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's no. In the same way, in the same way that a lot of people are like uh, in Batman v Superman, how Superman screams Martha and suddenly they're best friends. It's right. not it's not suddenly that they're best friends. It's a yeah. cathartic moment for for Batman to go, "Oh wait, 
here's this guy who's got a mom. The name is just a trigger. Mm -hmm. This is somebody that has a mom who loves him. And I'm about to kill this guy. And the only person he's worried about in in the entire world is his mother. Mm -hmm. What kind of monster am I to kill this guy? And I think that's, that's almost, I mean, wow, you could probably put those two scenes right next to each other. (laughs) And the moment Superman screams Martha and the moment that, that Evans is like, you know, whatever he says about him being a coward or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, that whole speech where they're being strangled, you could probably put those side by side and they would be the exact same scene with the exact same exchange. Yeah. Because. Or exact meaning in in the exchange. When Wade starts essentially actively running towards the train, Mm -hmm. it is such, to me, it was so jarring and weird. Like, what, what are you doing? Right. Why are you doing this? Right. This makes it made little sense in the moment mm-hmm. why he would just all of a sudden stop trying to kill this dude mm-hmm. and then just start actively running to yeah, go to there, prison. There's something missing to where beyond the choking scene in that general store, there's something else that that needs to happen or that feels missing to make them mm-hmm. feel like, okay, we're in this together. It just didn't seem like enough. Right. I think right. when they wrote it, it like seems missing. like this will be the moment. And I wonder, oh, yeah. he, he couldn't tell the truth to his kids, but it just didn't seem like enough. I wonder if there is something in the source material that would, mm. would explain it a little bit more, but maybe not. No more Leonard stuff sometimes works, sometimes doesn't for Does me. It? Yeah. And I was interested... As I was reading through the 57 synopsis of, like, the whole film, Mm -hmm. like, Alice comes back at the end of the movie, Evans' wife, and tries to convince him to, like, leave him in the hotel room and, like, vacate the premise. And apparently one of the other people that went with them on this this trip to deliver Wade was the town drunk. And the town drunk was the one that, like, went out to confront the gang and they shot him. And then they, like, hung him from a chandelier or something. And so he's like, well, if the town drunk will give his life to try to get Wade, how can I do any less? It was like, there was, like, some, like, weird differences. Yeah. I don't need a a drunk funny man in my my Western. You need a drunk funny man. Yeah, I know. Like, we've moved past it. So what what do you think about the uh, the cinematography, the editing, the, the overall look and feel of, of this movie we've talked a lot about story and character motivation yeah which is fine but what what did you think about the overall look and feel etc there was upon reflecting a lot of the cinematography when you think of classic western mm-hmm. films it's a lot of vistas mm-hmm. wide open shots i mean we see it even in like modern stuff right big vistas and they were shooting in new mexico mm-hmm. which i drove to new mexico it's gorgeous right it's it's the perfect spot to shoot a western it's right. crazy um there's nearly i don't feel like there was much of that in this no though, there isn't which is strange which, which is also odd too because there's a moment where <laughs> where they're where they've discovered the bad guys the gang has discovered that there is a, a decoy that's headed out to the fort mm-hmm. And they discover it and they're like, oh, we got to get to con- uh, the other city. <laughs> the city we can't remember. <laughs> and that's 80 miles in the other direction. And then they start riding back and then you suddenly cut to the to uh, Peter Fonda looking through his spy glasses and it's like, they're 50 miles away. I mean, they're like 10 miles away or whatever. It's not, you're not yeah. going to be able to see what those spy glasses, 80 miles of people it, turning around and coming back. Again, away. that was really odd because like the editing was so close together. Yeah. You would think we have to go 80 miles, but I think- in the plot wise, them taking Wade, they weren't very far yet. Is the only way I can justify how they no, would be so close. They said we have to go back eighty miles in the opposite direction. 
Yeah, I know. And then you cut to and you see like the stagecoach still burning in the distance and oh, maybe 80 miles you could see a stagecoach burning. But then you cut to Fonda with his his spy glasses and he's looking at the the riders coming this way and they're like, oh, we're never going to make it if we have to go this way. (laughs) We have to cut through the shortcut. Right, right, right. Like there's a lot of things in this movie that don't make a lot of sense, but from a, a look point of view and maybe to create a more claustrophobic experience. You don't want to use wide vistas. Maybe you want to keep mm-hmm. everything kind of tight and you want to keep, uh, you want to keep this idea of what's lurking around the corner, you know, there in the audience's mind, because mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, you're like, okay, we're riding into this pass area. And then the kids riding along, you see these people that are strapped down to a rock dead. Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, why are those people there? It's like, oh, well, we just told you in the last scene that this is, yeah, Apache, that was, that was weird. This is Apache country and they kill everyone. Yeah. And then they run into no Apaches. Well, and there's three. a, and then there's a railroad just right there with no trouble at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but I think from, from that aspect that it is kept tighter because, and I, I, I couldn't find the American cinematographer cinematographer article on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would imagine that it is to keep that close nature to make it feel uneasy and mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And we have to jump at the, at the sounds, but then also you look at $55 million budget, 30 million of it probably went to your actors. Mm-hmm you can't do a whole lot else on 20 million. Well, this is great. I was looking up now that we got so caught up in like finding filming locations with mm-hmm. paper moon. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find a lot of filming locations, uh, in New Mexico and mm-hmm. in, I think it was the Wikipedia article. They said they, there's a few ranches that right. hold, have like ghost towns on them mm-hmm. and they b- did like a big expansion of one of them to mm-hmm. shoot one of the town locations in. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, they just did like two million dollars of work. Can we just keep it? Yeah, and yeah. The, the city board was like, "Yeah, sure, tear it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah." Because, but the city board's like, "Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Just, yeah. yeah, just keep it up. You yeah. can sh- shoot new stuff there later." Yeah, like, yeah, that'd be dope. I just want to just buy land, like build a town for me, film crew. Well, so I mean, when you look at a TV show, I don't know if you've ever watched it, but Deadwood on HBO. I have HBO. I have not watched it. You need to watch Deadwood. <laughs> Deadwood is so fantastic. Is it, really? it is probably one of the greatest westerns you will ever see. Is it is it a better western than Westworld? It is the best <laughs> western ever. Out wow. there on Route 66. <laughs> okay. <No. laughs> I mean, the problem with the problem with Deadwood was it ended and when you get to the end of Deadwood you're like holy crap that is the end. Because by the time they got to the end of it, that's when the audiences really started to go, oh, we want to watch this. That's when the like the first and second season had come out on DVD and it only went for four seasons. And this was not at a time where HBO was like, oh, yeah, we can uh, just continue this on. And as soon as we find the audience like Game of Thrones, we'll just be rolling it or like Mm -hmm. any other show HBO has done since. And there's two original programming things that they were doing, Deadwood and Carnival, which just – found their audience after they canceled it. And had they not canceled it, it would have been going on today. It's really, really good. Okay. But they, they too built the entire town and they just shoot in it. And I don't know if that town, I mean, it's probably not there anymore as far as sets go, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's been 10 years and they keep talking about, Oh, we'll be doing the Deadwood movie. And it's like, well, they're gonna have to rebuild that town. So yeah, there are (laughs) a lot of ghost towns and there are a lot of rundown towns like that. Well, in fact, in high noon that you were talking about earlier, that's just someone's ranch oh, yeah. that that town was built on so that people could go there. Now, the problem with having stuff set up like that is you have to be really, really careful or suddenly you're going to realize that, oh, that back lot in that movie is the same back lot that they shot back to the future on. And then suddenly you <laughs> cannot look away and you've got every, you know, town square looking just like the mm-hmm. back lot town square at Universal. So mm-hmm. you do run into that risk. Yeah. But that would be, that was just interesting because, um, 
one that there's just so many ghost towns mm-hmm. that are somewhat intact that they mm-hmm. can at least build off from. And them. I don't know I don't know what the rules are because there are some ghosts there's I think at least one ghost town here in Kansas. Oh yeah. That I don't know what the rules are. Can you just walk into this town and do whatever you want? Are you supposed to touch stuff? Are you not supposed to touch <laughs> stuff? What can where what are you allowed to look into and not look into? Because I find it fascinating to be able to go there and just see all this, you know, broken down stuff mm-hmm. and reflect that, wow, this wasn't, this was like 50 years ago that this town was thriving and now there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating um, that it still stands after being completely abandoned. But I don't know what the rules are about going on to those properties. Right. Is it owned by anybody? It's got to be owned by somebody. Sure. No. In, in these, when you're talking about <laughs> abandoned ghost towns about buying land and just doing that. Go for it, Zach. Maybe you, you could become the next uh, big rancher to uh, to catch the three ten to Yuma. I hope so. Um, is anything else in the cinematography that you really liked? I can't even remember. I, th- I thought it was, it was to be honestly. I thought it was just pretty generic. I mean, yeah. now, this was up for at least one Academy two. or two Academy Awards. But it was like best song in sound editing or something. Yeah, but other than that, there was not not a whole lot that was that really stood out. Because, like I said, I, I remember the. When I saw the horse explode again, when they when they <laughs> shot the dynamite and the horse exploded, yeah. I was like, oh, so this is going to be like a Fast and the Furious 310 yeah. Yuma edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were several moments like that that I was just like, oh, this these are very modern things that are thrown in to make it exciting because everyone knows Westerns are boring, but actually an interesting Western. I don't know if it's great, but yeah. it's certainly fascinating and interesting to look at, especially as we compare Logan, directed by James Mangold, and 310 to Yuma 2007, directed by James Mangold, Mm -hmm. and kind of make these comparison and contrasts and see what inspires the director. I mean, we spent a whole month just looking at movies from one director yeah, um, to check out how their evolution goes. I think there's some growth between these two movies. Yeah, I I feel like the pacing of Logan was really good. Mm -hmm. I think this one was fine. I, I can't really even complain about it. I felt yeah. like it, it still clipped along pretty well. And mm-hmm. I don't think there was any big lulls. But there were some just strange gaps that it's like, we're just going to jump this gap. You just don't right. just don't look at it. Right. And we're just going to keep going. Right. It'll be fine. And I think that was the drawback. But besides that, I think it's a strong movie in, mm-hmm. a, in a fairly strong modern Western mm-hmm. that... I think it's worth watching. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with this film. No. I, I think the ending, while shocking at first, and be like, wait, wait, why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. At least leads to interesting character study discussions on why these characters would make these moves and what tips they give us throughout the film and the dialogue that mm-hmm. might give way into their psyche and how they're really acting at the end. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. And of course, you've got Christian Bale and Russell Crowe on the screen together, and that's something to to check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that very interesting. But um, I would say this would be, you know, for me, if I were giving it, you know, like a, a, a grade, it would be in the mid to high 70s, like 78, 77, somewhere around there out of 100. Yeah, because uh, an ending that's interesting and worth talking about mm-hmm. isn't an entire movie. Right. You know, like a twist being good. I don't think sells an entire movie all mm-hmm. the way for me. And then, mm-hmm. and then necessarily this movie has a twist, but is, is it a, is a ending worth talking about? 
Right. But there were some issues with it, and it's not stellar visually. And like it, the, the exploding horses and shooting dynamite for fun are odd. And, and, and as far as violence goes, you feel like this was more... I thought the most violent thing was when Wade... Stabs a dude in the in the neck repeatedly yeah, with, with a fork. fork. That yeah. was a little much. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty tame as far as keeping the the blood and gore to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Especially when we see something like Logan, that's much more visceral. Oh boy. Or we see, yeah, um, we see uh, uh, Bone Tomahawk, oh, uh, or you know any of those God other damn, movies. That movie, you <laughs> <laughs> can't get out of your head once you see no, once, a person ripped open. What, what is seen cannot be unseen. Yeah. Zach. <laughs> All right, take us out of here. Next week, it is Hell or High Water. Um, Just another Western that I think kind of has similar themes running between 310 to Yuma and Logan. Uh, And especially, I think you you hit on it, This you have to be killed. Your legacy is being killed, and that's Mm -hmm. how you will be remembered doing something. I think you're going to see that in this this movie, too, now that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But Hell or High Water next week, uh, definitely a super underrated movie, in my opinion, that a lot of people didn't see until after it uh, was in the theater. Yeah. Um, but I think you're going to kick out of it, Zach. A, I'm excited. A, a true modern Western in that yeah. it is set in present day. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, was, I knew that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. This is one of those movies that gets like weirdly nominated for an Oscar. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, maybe I should actually watch that yeah, movie. Yeah. So I'm excited if we can do that. In the meantime, before that podcast comes out, head over to Majorspoilers.com. You're going to find a whole lot of great podcasts for you to listen to this week from Top 5, uh, critical hit the major spoilers podcast so much for you to listen to it's going to be a great week for you and your podcast listening while you're there click on amazon.com wink you never know when amazon's amazon's going to have a sale for stuff you love board games movies it's not going to cost you any extra when you use that link and but then a little bit of that money will come back to major spoilers and not go to amazon it'll come back to major spoilers and it's going to help keep this podcast empire and content producing empire going forward mm-hmm. and the patreon's always a great way yeah the patreon's also a great way let's say that you want to uh, take us out to a movie. Well, yeah. the best way to do that is go to uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, donate $10 a month. you That's essentially you taking one of us to a movie yeah. um, each month. I'm a great date. And Zach is a fantastic <laughs> date from what I hear. He'll pop the... Uh, <laughs> The red vines or the Twizzlers in uh-huh. the in the soda together, and you can each yeah. sip from your own your own straw It'll together. Be It'll be wonderful. But uh, ten dollars <laughs> a month, uh, maybe that's all that uh, that it takes, or five or two dollars, whatever you want to contribute. Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers, you get a little bit in return, and again, all the money that you put into Patreon or Amazon uh, goes right back into growing this company. So that's it for this week's episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.